0: Welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast, a show about artistry and industry and music. My name is Adam Meckler, and it's my mission to get you the tools to have a thriving career. And today I'm talking with Ryan Christensen. Ryan is a trombonist who spent a whole bunch of time touring with the Dallas Brass, who also played with me in a band called Nookie Jones in his early days in Minneapolis, He's also from this big musician family out of North Dakota. And I had another person from his family on the podcast, Mike Christensen, who toured with Ray Charles and played on Broadway for 23 years and now works with me at Michigan Tech. Really amazing person, uh, musician. And Ryan is no different and says on the podcast that he took a lot of inspiration for chasing a career as an artist, as a player from Mike Christensen. So Ryan talks about how he got the Dallas brass gig, how he moved from school to school and was kind of like playing a lot at the same time, uh, how he grew up playing lots of different instruments in lots of different contexts, and how that has informed his career thus far. He's now also, and I think this fits a lot of people right now, he's also like he's playing as much as he possibly can, and he's driving to teach at a university and he's finishing up graduate work at a university and they're all in very different locations in the early stages of maybe becoming somebody who works in academia, but is like the heaviest of heavy players. He worked himself into the Chicago scene really quickly and has a full schedule playing in addition to everything that he's doing in academia. Ryan gives some really great nuggets on navigating all of this throughout the conversation. I really think you're going to dig it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Ryan Christensen. So how's it going, man? It's been a long time.
1: Dude, yeah, it's been too long. Uh, it's going, going pretty good. Um, a little bit crazy, you know, doing all the driving right now, going back and forth between Decatur and Madison and Chicago. Um, so that's a lot. <laughs> well,
0: well, so Decatur for graduate school? So Decatur is where I'm teaching. Decatur's Decatur is where you're teaching
1: Madison's yeah. graduate school? Mad- Madison's graduate school, doing the DMA at Madison.
0: Okay. Okay. Man. Yeah. So and, then, and then living in Chicago. Chicago.
1: Where yeah, How makes, far
0: is Decatur from where you live?
1: It's about three hours. So it's about two up to Madison, three down to Decatur. So nice, it makes a nice little triangle. It's not a nice triangle, but it and exists. It's not
0: a nice triangle. <laughs> this, this seems like the grind of like an early academic. You know, it's like it always seems like it's that kind of. It's like you got to teach somewhere to get some experience doing that. And like, what? Where? Where are you teaching at?
1: Uh, Millikan University, and yeah, and that's exactly oh. what. It is.
0: We just played a chart written for Millikan Jazz Band. Um, I'm kidding. It was written by, oh my gosh, uh, Ray, Ray, uh, Raymond.
1: Oh, that man. might that might be the old trumpet teacher down there I've met him once and he wrote like he was prolific like he wrote a ton of charts yeah but some of them are like really hip he just uh, has them online like
0: just download them online and we, we played a an arrangement of um prime directive Dave holington
1: cool yeah yeah he he some he had some really hip stuff I went down there and played Randall Randall Raymond yes yes I I'm sure that's him um Yeah, man. I, I went down there before I got the gig. Um, I, they brought me in to do like their low brass day last year. Um, and so I soloed with the jazz bands and they got to this tune. Uh, what was, it was on a standard. Oh shoot. I'm going to space on which standard it was. Um, you and the night in the music. Yeah. And it was just this like, it was just this killer arrangement. And it was like, yeah, it was just by, like, the dude that taught trumpet and, like, ran part of the jazz program. They got a lot of a lot of really good stuff going on with the jazz program down there, for sure.
0: Cool. So are you teaching low brass? What are you doing there?
1: Yeah, teaching low brass. I teach the trombones, just trombones, and then I run the low brass ensemble. So it's the kind of thing I can get it all done in a day. So I just drive down there. <clears throat> um, so wow. um, Sometimes I crash down there, but for the most part, I'll, like like, tomorrow I'll go down there, start teaching at noon, Finish at eight, and then come back to Chicago. So it's a okay. It's a it's a long day, but you can do it in a day. So
0: wow, and uh, it's a couple hour drive, and then Madison's two and a half hours from Chicago, right?
1: Two hours, yeah, two and a half, depending on how fast it, you drive. Yeah, depending on a lot of things, but yeah. <laughs> what are all. you doing in
0: your DMA now?
1: Oh man, um, well right now. Um, it, it's getting to a little bit of crunch time. I got a recital coming up. The DMA is performance, um, trombone performance with, uh, they have you do a doctoral minor or other places might call it a cognitive field. So I'm doing a cognitive okay. field in, in education, in music education, um, yeah. which is, uh, it's nice being in that world, uh, a little bit, it definitely a different way of thinking about it and not like, zo- like zooming out quite a bit and like not looking at looking at the systems of education and like how things get funneled and where there are problems. And (laughs) there's a lot of problems, you know, a lot of problems. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's, it's been a good to be around. Like right now I'm in a class where it's like a handful of English teachers, um, like school administrators, museum educators, not for profit, like runners and stuff like that. And then, and and then me just sitting there like I play trombone Yeah. So uh, it's, it's cool to be in that space and, and, and kind of getting different perspectives on all that. But um, so I got some I got a, some big projects coming up for that kind of thing um, and putting on a lecture recital in a couple weeks here um, that'll be just on the concept that anybody can make art and it's going to be an interactive experience where people create things at the beginning. And then at the end um, take things that people created and interpret them as like graphic and and text scores. So I'm really, really about that. Yeah.
0: Cool. That sounds fun. Yeah,
1: it's going to be great.
0: Nice. So man, why? uh, I, I mean, I guess we could, we could, we could zoom out or, or go backwards in time a little bit because I want to ask, like, why go back to school when you've got this really great gig with Dallas Brass and you're touring all over? But I, I want to get into, like, maybe a little before that. So sure. you come from a musical family. Your dad's a band director. We got to hang with him not long ago together, which was super fun. That was great. Uh, what was it like growing up in a family where – your dad's a trumpet player, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, trumpet player.
0: So what's it like growing up in, a, in like, a, a family like that that's got – music going on all the time
1: yeah it's, it's definitely an interesting experience um and i mean i'm obviously eh, really blessed to have grown up in that space because both my dad and my brother huge inspirations to me in terms of like people that just make music go on because i yeah again i like uh, from Grand Forks, North Dakota, relatively small town. It's not like not rural, rural, but kind of detached from any major metropolitan area. You know, it's five hour drive to the Twin Cities, like a three hour drive up to Winnipeg. And, you know, that's what you yeah, get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so just being in that, in that space, um, it was, I don't know, it was it, like, hearing music all the time because my dad played in bands. Like I remember being a kid and like everybody's talking about like their favorite uh, music to listen to is like, you know, Backstreet Boys or Sync. if that dates me in exactly the right <laughs> spot. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, but uh, and, and I was like, no, I like my dad's band and they're playing like Glenn Miller charts and stuff like that. It's like, that's, you know, it's like, you, just that was what I got excited about. And that kind of like made that kind of music be rock stars. Like I didn't understand that people didn't know who like Maynard Ferguson was (laughs) when I was in
0: school,
1: I was like, that was it. Like that was, those were the rock stars. But, uh, then get into middle school and then just having, again, just having these two, you know, both my brother and my dad were always very active about creating playing opportunities. Um, and so my brothers and I started this like punk rock garage band. Um, And he was always pushing writing new music and finding places for us to play and all that stuff all the way through high school. And around the same time, my dad uh, started running what's basically a jobbing band, um, but there was no jobbing band in the area. You know, there was no top 40s type, you know, wedding bar band kind of band that was up there. Right, right. That music. And so he started working and really pushing that. Um, and ended up creating work for both me and my brother because there's not a lot of people that like know that can like just sit in and play. Um, so what so did I, you
0: what did you play in the garage band like the, the, the yeah punk I played bass rock. guitar. I, I thought you guitar. played bass man. For some reason that like started popping back in my head like Ryan plays bass, but yeah. I don't remember. It's been a while since we've hung and talked about that kind of stuff.
1: Oh yeah 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 no. So I played bass and it was actually a really cool thing is that then for my dad's band. Um, you know, when I got through high school, it was like, I almost never played trombone in that band. Uh, I would play, um, I would play bass, I would play piano, uh, and that was pretty much, I was pretty much just playing bass and piano in that band, um, wow. for the, for the most part playing, um, uh, you know, maybe once in a blue moon, I would play trombone. I played, my brother ended up being the regular guitar player for it. Um, and then once in a blue, uh, like. Yeah. I, I played one set on guitar and that was, it was one set for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, It was not, not my expertise, but, um, but you know, so it was just like, it was just growing up in in that family, um, where this, all of these things were happening. It was like, I had this great opportunity to just get like kind of swept along with it. Yep. And it let yep. me, um, really kind of, for my end, I got to really just focus on like, I can sit down and play whatever you need. Like if you, where are you playing on Friday? What, what'd you book? Let me go figure it out and I'll go play with you. Um,
0: so in a lot of ways, like coming from a small area where there aren't a ton of players, that's like a huge advantage for a young person coming up who is looking for opportunities or who can jump from instrument to instrument. Yeah. It's like, that's a great way. It's like, I, I always wonder like, how do amazing players come out of small towns? And it's like, you're, you're kind of spelling it out. It's like, my dad created the only jobbing band. I'm playing piano, I'm playing bass, I'm playing guitar, I'm playing trombone, I'm playing, you know, it's like, yep, yeah, that's interesting, man.
1: Yeah, and is it is. Well, and there's, you know, there's other advantages to it. You know, like I think about that now I'm in Chicago and spent a lot of time teaching middle schoolers and stuff here. And it's like, and I think we've talked about this too. Uh, like the idea that it's like a lot of these kids that I'm teaching, like by the time they get to high school, they're already kind of specializing in stuff. Hmm. but like when you're growing up like everybody does everything and that's yeah. like a huge advantage you know that i was in i was in I'm doing all that stuff i was in theater i was singing i was uh football and wrestling through high school and right. like five sports in middle school because if nobody plays nobody can play like right, right. <laughs> so it's a you know it, it was a really really great advantage to getting through that
0: yeah i think that's such a great experience too like i i Functioned really similarly. While I was in choirs and theater, and I was in band and jazz band and jazz choir, and I was in basketball and baseball and golf all through high school, or basketball, baseball, and golf in high school. Traveling mm-hmm. basketball all through high school. I ended up dropping. I ended up not playing on the school team sure. after a little while. I'm still a little bitter about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean that's such a great. It's a great way to grow up and and. You know, it's just like I got kids of my own now and I'm thinking about Augie. You know, he's like, I want to take karate. I want to go to this basketball camp. He's taking piano lessons. It's like to some degree it feels like it's it's like, whoa, this is too much. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. But when it's when it's done in out of necessity, when it's done like we need someone, come in and do this, it's like maybe a different thing than like forcing a bunch of forcing a bunch of commitments onto your child so that they're- Yeah, and I to... think there's a, the other big
1: thing that you're, you're talking about there too is that it's like, I, I think the most important thing you just said is, is like, he's asking, you know what I mean? And yeah. that was also my parents' attitude with everything for, just about everything for me and my brother, is that it's like, if you want to do it, you'll do it, but the only rule was that we couldn't quit in the middle. Like, we, Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you, Once
0: uh, you commit, you got to do it.
1: Yep, you, you got to finish it, and it's like you can quit at the end of a season, but you can't quit in the middle. The only exception- my mom hated that I wrestled and like, I did quit in the middle of a season cause I hurt my ankle like, <laughs> and like upstairs and was like, man, like at that point I was getting pretty serious about trombone and it was like, all right, like if that was my wrist or if that was my teeth, like, yep. it's like, all right, okay, cool. And that one was, that one was fine. But I still have regrets about that though. <laughs> Even, you know,
0: about quitting wrestling
1: i quitting in the middle of a season,
0: yeah. Yeah, interesting, man. I, I just went to uh, Indiana Hall of Fame of Wrestling okay. induct- Inductions because my next-door neighbor growing up, Rick Mitchum, is like an amazing – he was a, like an amazing wrestler um, in high school cool. in Indiana, uh, like a state – state champion wrestler. And wow. so he was inducted into the Indiana Hall of Fame and I happened to be doing the guest artist gig at Indiana State University for their jazz festival that same weekend. So I was like, dude, you're getting inducted. I'm going to drive over to Indianapolis and watch your induction and I got to hear all these really amazing wrestling stories. I mean, we're not talking about wrestling whatever, but yeah. uh it was cool to to hear the kind of impact it had on people's lives and coaches like you know, coaches were being inducted and so people would talk about the influence coaches had on them and uh, I just I got I got a soft spot in my heart for sports, yeah, in I, I, general
1: that way and and I think just like where you're going, like hearing these stories about and there's just so much one to one you know in like yeah. how you approach a life in music and how you approach a life in sports, and it's totally,
0: like, man yeah. totally, and like the t- the idea of team building like you know, I've got my orchestra, and it's like you know I think a lot about about building a group of people whose skills complement each other keeping that group of people together managing egos when you're in rehearsals you know it's Mm -hmm. like it's a lot it's not not unlike being a a basketball i've been watching a lot of timberwolves again nice Um,
1: it's good time uh, interesting
0: to see the chemistry the team coming together you know what i mean yep um so so you're 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 running around grand forks you're playing lots of instruments you decide i'm gonna major in music are you thinking i'm gonna be a band director because my dad's a band director, are you thinking I want to be a player? I mean, I asked your, I asked your, what uh, I asked Mike Christensen the same thing. Um, yeah. Did you think you're going to be a band director? Me, and I'm He was like, no. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because like Mike was a big part of that decision for me. Um, yeah. I got to see uh, somebody from my family who'd gone and done gone and done the thing you know and like it's like oh okay like there's a there's a pathway and I can kind of see a pathway so initially coming out of high school um, was kind of following the Mike Christensen model of like I think I'm going to go I went to North Texas for one year before I went up to Minnesota Uh, and so I went to that's uh, right yeah go to a big school and I'm going to like do the you know play in some touring band and then go to New York, just like Mike, <laughs> you know, yep. that was kind of, that was kind of the model for me. Um, and then I got there and doing the jazz studies degree at North Texas. And, you know, like I, again, like I talk about being really young and thinking like, man, Maynard Ferguson is this rock star and I'm living in that mindset. And that was kind of when it settled, like it was a, you know, like you know, there's wobbles and waivers and like what I think I'm going to do with my life. but. Uh, for the most part, like I think, once I was about like eight years old, is like, well, I think I want to play trombone, you know, and yeah, that was, that was it. And then I got to North Texas, and I'm like doing it, and I like have this realization that that's probably not the decision that should be trusted to an eight year old, <laughs> you know. <And> so <laughs> I got down there. <laughs> so I got down there, and I was uh, like, I, I kind of went through this experience of like, man, what. Like, I just kind of like told myself going through high school that it's like, well, I don't think I have the patience to teach. Like, I don't think I could teach It's like, what are you talking about? Like I had, I'm so fortunate that I had this moment of clarity where it's like, you have no idea if you have the patience to teach, you've never taught. (laughs) Uh (laughs) uh, And so I was going through that and that's what brought me, uh, when I came to Minnesota, I I transferred because I figured like, okay, I want to still be in a good trombone program, but I want to explore teaching find out if it's for me or not before I commit myself to this life that I know can be difficult. Yep. Um, because I think I can't do this thing that I've never tried. Like, so, um, but uh, you know, going to a, a, being in the, being in the twin cities, um, being in a, a place where I knew there was a lot of playing going on. Um, and Which is a
0: little closer to home, too. A
1: little closer to home, and that was a big part of it, too. It's like, I don't want to be all the way across the country doing a music education degree. Uh, not for nothing, North Texas makes you, if I were to have stayed at North Texas and been a music ed major, I would have had to do marching band in Texas in August. Ooh. And I did not, not a, there, was, there was no marching band in my high school. I, have no, I knew I had no ambitions towards running a marching band at any point. Yeah. I was like, well, uh, that's part of it. That's part of it. But really all the other stuff kind of laid in there heavier is like get a little bit closer to home, get my feet under me, still be in a good scenario to be playing. Um, but like not be just, and even like, even, you know, the idea of getting a jazz studies degree, like that's laser focused, you know? Yep. Uh, Um, yeah. So I went to Minnesota thinking, uh, treating myself like, I guess just kind of following my nose i guess if that makes sense just like i'm taking the classes like i'm going to be a band director but as i was playing and i was really lucky to start subbing and playing on the scene a little bit realizing like okay no like i really like playing uh and it's a possibility like i can you know like things started to happen
0: <laughs> you started playing pretty fast like while you were a student oh, while yeah. you were an undergrad student i don't know that like I played a lot while I was an undergrad, but I made all of my opportunities happen. It's like I booked all those gigs, you know, and it was with Jana and a guitar player. It was a trio thing, and, like, we recorded a demo, and I passed it out at venues. And so, like – and that was in Wisconsin, so that's, like, Fox Valley area. It's not like being in a a bigger scene like the cities. You know, it's like you – it seemed like you were, you were, like, freelancing. You were, like, playing gigs, and then Nookie Jones found out about you somehow. Yep. You know, it's like you started started doing – the thing with nookie jones doing some tours doing some pretty high profile shows uh how did you get connected so quickly as a student
1: yeah that's a that's a great question and i think uh again that ties in with all this stuff we've been talking about is that it's like number one i didn't think of it as being anything different than what i'd already been doing you know like i was working as a professional i'd been playing the bar scene since i was 15 or 14, you know, so right. I like, all right, like you call me to, I know what it looks like to show up at a gig, you know what I mean? And yep. I know what it, what it looks like to like, sit down and read a book, like, and, and be able to play what's in front of you. So it's yep. like, I knew that. So it didn't feel different. And I was like, honestly, I never really thought of it like that. Um, you know, I think in every situation, There's a couple people, like you just, uh, I've been talking to students at Madison who are asking about like starting a freelance career. And it's like, I think in any, like in any, anybody would tell you, it's like, if you get that first opportunity, you get that first knock on the door and you, then you can start building on that. I was really lucky um, to be at Minnesota. I think, Uh, I think the first person that started asking me to sub for him was Keith Hilson. Uh, Oh Yeah. Yep. And so, and that plugged me into big bands, uh, into playing. I remember, well, I mean, part of that, this whole thing too, is just being hungry for it. Um, I remember the first gig I played in the cities is at what's now crooners. I forget what it was called then.
0: Yeah. Oh man, I should know this. Uh, not Rossi's blue star room. That was hell's kitchen.
1: It's like up in Fridley, man. I can't remember what the, what the name of it is, but
0: yeah, I mean Crooner's Lounge supper club. Now it's a great yeah, club. Man. Yeah, it's that, great
1: that's that it was way up there. And I remember I got asked to sub for Keith, <clears throat> band, a big band, and it paid five dollars.
0: <laughs> was that no? Was that? Nova? No. Uh, who this played there? Acme. Cedar.
1: Acme. 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 That's right. Yes. Uh, There's so
0: many big bands in Minneapolis too. That's crazy. I, I think a lot of people don't realize, and I know some of my students at Michigan Tech listen to this, and I tell them this. I'm like, there are so many big bands that are looking for people to play gigs. Even if you're like going to be an engineer as yes. your career, it's like you could totally play big band gigs your whole life if you want.
1: Yeah. Dude, that was huge. And yeah, but so I took that and it's like, cause I knew this like, man, just give me one, one opportunity. And I kind of had this idea It's like, I know I can, you know, get connected. And I more than any of that, I just wanted to play. Like I wanted yeah. to be playing and feel like I'm doing the thing. Uh, so I remember I had left my uncle lived at the time I was living in Dinkytown. So like right on university of Minnesota campus, um, and didn't want to pay for a car, like parking and stuff. So I left my car at my uncle's place, which is like an hour out of the cities. And then I would just like come and pick it up when I wanted to go home um, to North Dakota. Wow. Uh, and so I remember one of my buddies had a car. So I paid my friend 20 bucks to borrow his car to drive 45 <laughs> miles <laughs> to play a gig that paid $5 and came back. You know? That's
0: like that meme online that's like uh, you, you <laughs> yeah. pay whatever $5,000 car for a... With a $1,000 instrument for a $500 whatever for a $5 gig? I don't remember what
1: it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, whatever. It's a, it's exactly that concept. But, uh, you <laughs> know, that was that was huge, man, for me because I, I uh, started, you know, I started playing with that band, and one of the cats in there was Gus Lindquist, uh, and so I started playing with them regularly, and then when Gus, Gus used to tour with Lori Line. Oh, Okay. Yeah. And so then when Lori was looking for a trombonist to do a tour, Gus gave her my name and I got that gig because I took that $5 gig. Wow. That's so Man, like, that's oh.
0: such a great lesson in like, you never know what gig could come out of something, even if it doesn't pay great. Mm-hmm. Man, like that Lori Line gig is, that's a pretty big, it's like a salary thing, right?
1: Yeah, it was good. It was, I mean, I, I, I managed to pull that off while I was still in school. Um, I turned a bunch of classes into online classes, but it, you know, it it worked out like it paid for like a year of school for me, basically. Um, which was awesome, you know? Um,
0: and what's that Lori line tour? Like, is that a whole bunch of theaters?
1: Yeah. Theaters. Yeah. Theaters, performing arts centers. We played an arena. That was pretty cool. Uh, We played, I think uh, where Mankato state has their hockey games. I think we were Mankato for that. Um, but yeah, it's a super, that was a good, good introduction to touring. Um, just because it was so fast paced, um, we played, I want to say we played like 40 shows in 42 cities. No, I'm getting this backwards. 44 shows in 42 cities in like 40 days or something like that. Whoa. <laughs> it was nuts. Just uh, just
0: cramming it in.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. And so it's like if she would schedule it so that like on the weekends we'd be back in the Twin Cities area. So it's like if we wanted to like run, do laundry or whatever, we were like close to home, we could zip out. But so like we'd, we played the state, we played down in Burnsville. Uh, I'm trying to remember what else we played close by. But, you know, so we'd come back and like – run around, get everything squared away, get back on the bus, go, go out. Um, but that was just like, yeah, there was a lot to be learned from that side of touring. And I think this also, will tie into like Dallas brass stuff as well, but, um, playing the same show every night and like literally every night and just like, what are you focusing on? What are you training yourself to do? I think that was actually really, really formative experience for like how I approach the professionalism of the gig and the professionalism of like a show show, yeah, you know, um, where you're hitting the exact same stuff. Um, what are your goals? How do you keep it interesting? I mean, it's not hard to keep it interesting. It's like, I'm man, I'm trying to think if I ever played, played a, a perfectly clean show on that entire run I don't know if I ever did I was had to it was a good a good opening uh, too because I had to she she used to tour with a bigger band and that was a smaller band and so it's like I was playing the role of like sure trombone but I also had to like lift a, a Kenny Holman solo uh, and like take some of it you know
0: <laughs> Kenny Holman's the tenor player with Corey Wong for those of you that don't know Kenny's name yeah amazing so, so lift- if you've seen all those crazy solos that kenny plays yeah. online that's, that's
1: fortunately kind of- fortunately it was not like nutso like crazy stuff but it was like yeah i had to play the role of the tenor sax player i was the token improviser so it's like anything that was blowing was coming my way and she didn't really want you to like blow blow like it was like okay it's improvised maybe i have some spaces to stretch but for the most part i'm playing the same thing every night um Yeah,
0: I heard that about her that she like really needs everything to be exactly the same every night Mm where she, I mean, like, I'm not going to say who told me this, but that, or she gets off. Like she can't handle it when somebody was talking to, I'm narrowing it down, but I was talking to somebody who played drums with her and he was like, if every fill wasn't exactly the same in every spot, which again, it's like a good learning lesson too of like, hey, man, this is part of the professionalism of the gig. Like, this is what the gig needs. I'm going to play right. it exactly the same every night. And in that way, you can challenge yourself, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a huge part of it. And, um, and knowing the gig, knowing what the thing is, and just like, you know, because also at that time, you know, I, was, I think I was, yeah, I was 20 when I was doing that. Um, wow. And it's like, I had this like, it was like, you know, I wanted to like, I wanted to blow, but it's like, it's not a blowing gig. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. It's like, that's, that was a learning curve. And I remember talking to Dean Sorensen about that when I got back and he's like, well, yeah, yeah. he was saying, it's like, this is the same thing as when he toured with the Miller band. Like, you know, you got to know what the gig is. Like there's spots to like do that, but there's also like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what's this job? What is this job?
0: Yeah. Dude, even touring with Youngblood where it's like, slashes and chords it's like this is your time to improvise if i played stuff that was too fast or too heady it just went right over the head of the audience it's like what's the job of this band in this space at a club show it's like i'm trying to make people go woo i'm trying to make people dance i'm trying to you know what i mean so it's like i had to simplify everything i was playing play play more kind of like lean into the pentatonic yeah like minor pentatonic blues you know, simplify, simplify, and really play rhythmic—something that really hits. You know what I mean? In those spaces, rather than the stuff I wanted to play.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that there's an element of like getting into that. That that's a that's a good conversation because it's like, who are you playing for? You know, um, and it's like, what's what are you going like? I I don't know. I like I, I shy away from like the the idea of like well there's what i want to play and then there's what i'm gonna play for all these people you know like you know it kind of it that toes a line of like kind of this stuff but like sure sure uh, for me for me it's like what gives me what gives me like joy being in front of people is like is the connection that we have you know like the connection with me and the audience and you're there and so it's like man if i'm if that's a one-way street if that's just like like i'm gonna play like well if it's not collaborative, then it's like, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel as good. That's not what I'm in it for. So it's like, and that's, and so that was a way as I, as I started thinking about like playing um, with Lori and, and I, and I had the same stuff in Dallas brass and, uh, uh, learning to improvise in that ensemble, yep. uh, a little bit more freedom, a little bit more, a little bit different approach, but still it's like, who, who are you like, Playing to connect with somebody and the connection is what makes it the art, you know? So yeah. that's that's yeah. what
0: I'm so, when, so you, you you got the Laurie Lyon gig, you finish out in Minnesota, you're doing some playing with Nookie Jones. I remember when you decided I'm moving down to Chicago.
1: Yeah. That was tough. You know,
0: how like I guess I have a a few questions about this. How did the Dallas Brass gig come about? Let's talk about that first.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh Dallas Brass gig came about through connections in Minneapolis again it's it's building on the same thing um, that uh, you know uh, I was playing in one of the million big bands in the Twin Cities play started playing regularly with Bill Simonson's band
0: yep um, yep Bill's a great
1: composer amazing composer and really really challenging stuff uh, but one of the guys that I, I was playing second in that band and playing lead was Pete Endlum oh cool and
0: Pete and Pete played with uh, buddy rich uh, buddy rich but also Brian Setzer right
1: Yes. Pete, oh, yeah, man. Setzer. That was like while I, yeah, like that was, yeah, like he played with Buddy like back in the day. But yeah, Brian Setzer, like while I was still playing with Pete. And it was always great to get his stories coming back from Japan and all that. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, but uh, so Pete grew up with the owner of Dallas Brass, um, or the guy that founded it, Mike Levine. Uh, he's yep. a Minnesota guy. He grew up in St. Louis Park. Okay. Um, and. Uh, basically Mike, there's a, there's a long, long story that happened before this, but basically, um, I remember getting a call, I was up at the family lake cabins up in Park Rapids, Minnesota and got a call and I like, couldn't tell what it was, but it, uh, it was like, I thought it was like, the I thought this guy said Dallas brass. And so I got a phone call to come in and audition for Dallas brass. Um, so it was a definitely a different experience. Um, most of my audition happened online on most of my ha- audition was videos. Okay. Um, and which was a unique thing because I went through this, like, because I knew Mike, the guy uh, that was calling me, was a trombonist. Um, and so I was thinking, it's like, okay, like, maybe I'm going to get this gig or maybe Mike's just going to keep playing. Like, I couldn't really get a read on it. And it's like, I thought it was like my gig or nobody's gig. And turns out I was one of like 20 people that were <laughs> in this conversation that was. Wow. Um, and so I'm sending out this. This thing thinking that it's like okay like they like he called me like I never saw this posted like this is potentially like my gig. Um and so I made um a big list of excerpts from their show, um different things that they wanted as well as video um like a talking video talking like how you would be acting in front of a group of students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To tell three jokes. Uh, <laughs> yeah uh, i admitted that yeah uh and like you know it's one of those things i can i still have it on my google drive that audition is like i go back and say like man like i don't know <laughs> i don't know if i would have hired me but uh <laughs> but uh, mike saw something he liked um and he brought me in to uh, uh basically just meet with him and at the time the uh uh, business manager of the group um yeah, and, yeah. for them and just had like a I think I got to their place at like nine in the morning and was there probably until one or two in the afternoon something like that. as a long long hang um and just like playing and talking went to lunch hung out and uh, about a week later they called me and, and told me I got the gig so it was, That's it was cool like,
0: it's really interesting that they're looking both at your playing but also your personality it's like personality is a is a factor in getting hired on a gig like that that band does a lot of educational work right you mentioned going into schools how yep. would you be in front of a group of students what what was the touring schedule like with dallas brass what were you guys doing it's 175 dates a year or something right
1: uh yeah when i first started we were out like a hundred i think i was at like 115 dates that first year okay wow 115 days we didn't play like including some off days and stuff yeah uh, um and it's kind of it's it tapered off a, a bit after those first couple years but um yeah, uh probably nowadays, I mean, like when I ended, it was almost hundred percent school shows. Um uh, we would still do some theaters, some performing arts spaces, but you know, I think it really settled into this space where it's like Dallas Brass, like it gets into like marketing and, and getting into that, like what, what's your space, you know? Right, right. Um, and their space is like the national brass quintet, national brass size like tutoring scope brass quintet that comes in and works with high schoolers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a normal day for us would probably be getting to a venue like it's a long day. Yeah. Get, get to a venue, depending on the situation, usually get to the venue like nine in the morning um, or, you know, it can be later than that, but uh, usually running Mike and our drummer, would usually run a couple rehearsals, uh, one with, we usually play with one or two bands in most mm. places we went. Um, and they would run a rehearsal with the high schoolers or middle schoolers. And then in the afternoon, we'd all get them together and we'd do a clinic. Um, it's like very playing heavy clinic, really like just getting, you know, coming back to this idea of like, if you can get, if you can get one point across, like that's, Then we're cool. Like we want kids to come away with like one thing, and really the one thing we want them to be is like excited about band. Yeah, Um, sure. So that really kind of drove the clinics. Uh, And then we play a show usually seven thirty at night, um, crash in the town, drive the next morning, go to the next spot, whatever, whatever. So that was kind of the the zone for it.
0: Did you know? Did you leave that group because I guess I could just ask why did you leave that group? But I wonder if like you mentioned that the dates were slowing down a little bit did it become this thing that was like too big of a commitment uh but not enough work to justify the big the size of the commitment or you know like what what, what were the deciding factors in like moving on from that
1: yeah yeah that's a, it's a hard question and it's obviously uh there was a lot to unpack in in that decision too because it was like you know i got that job i got that job when i was 22 um and like you know, pretty much all of my adult, like career was like that opening doors for me, you know, um, yeah. and being a huge part of that. Um, and so it was like, man, it was like, it was a question of identity. It's like, man, if I'm not playing in Dallas brass, like what, <laughs> you know, like what, what, like what, what am I as a trombonist? Like I'm yeah. lucky to, you know, be more grounded in my personal identity than that. But like the, uh, uh, professionally, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't Mm -hmm. know if people would still call me, you know, Uh, (laughs) which is a silly thing to say out loud, but it was like, man, like it was a big part of that. But um, it was, it was one of those things. um, One of the reasons I I guess I knew that I was starting when the pandemic hit is all kind of pandemic related Uh, pandemic hit. I was already kind of thinking about coming back to school and then, and doing the academic route. And I always kind of knew I wanted to be, you know, coming back to this idea of like, I don't know if I want to be teaching or whatever. Like I realized I love teaching. I love teaching um, as much or more than playing. Um, It's, it it means a lot to me um, to get to work with students. Um, And so I knew like, all right, I'm kind of heading this direction and I have, I have a hunch that I'm going to really like teaching at the college level. And so I wanted to go back to school, uh, conveniently first year, I go back to school conveniently pandemic. (laughs) So it's like, I'm not missing any road time or whatever. Um, right. And then when we come back to it, you know, it was this, I'm trying to think how much I I want to say about it, but it was, uh, basically there was enough, the posture of the group, of the management of the group was that like, yeah, we want a book. We want a book. We want a book. Whereas like, I'm sitting in the group, I'm trying to go back to grad grad school. I want to be on the road less. Um, A couple other cats are like new university professors in positions where they're not a hundred percent like, They got the, you know, it's, it's this thing. It's like, you know, when you come into these spaces, they're like, Oh yeah, sure. Go out whenever you want. And then it's like, well, yeah, yeah, but we really need you to be here. Um, Yeah.
0: You don't know how much leverage you actually have at that stage. Yeah. Right. And it
1: was one of those. And so they're also kind of asking to be out less, Mm -hmm. but, and so it was like having this kind of conversation. It was like, well, like what, what's the future? What is this going? And it was just kind of becoming obvious that it was like, well, okay, I think the future of this group is, with or without me going to be like, we want to book as much as we can still. Uh, And so that was kind of it. Um, I mean, I guess ultimately it comes down to that, that it was just like, I knew I wanted to go back to school. I knew I couldn't be back in school if they were going to be booking as much as they wanted to. And I don't want to be in the way of that. I don't want to be sticking the mud. I don't want to be, um, uh, and I don't want to be in awkward situations in my new positions as well. Um, so it was, you know, it was, it, it worked out for the, for the best. And it's definitely not something that I like wouldn't go back. You know, I would be like, it, it's, it's possible, you know, if there, if things were to work out that way in the future is like, you know, come back and hit the road again when I'm at like, not trying to like get through school and get degrees and stuff to yeah. uh, go hit the road with them again. I would, uh, it's a great show. It's a, a lot of stuff that I really believe in. Um, and that's really what kept me going with it um, for throughout all that, and that made it part of what made it really, really a hard decision to leave, is because I really believed in um, the product and what was essentially the mission. Is I, I think that the group I like, and when I got into it, and it's interesting. This kind of comes back to this idea of like knowing your market.
0: Yeah,
1: um, I think that whether it was ever explicitly said or felt, or even if everybody, if everybody involved would agree with this, I always got the sense that it was like our role was like to connect people who probably would never show up at a, like a city. They wouldn't like, they weren't, if it was just, a like a brass quintet concert like if canadian came to this town or american brass quintet or any of these like big hitters um you know the, the that that category of thing they probably wouldn't come yeah. but when we were going our mission was to be in the in we played a lot of rural areas which hits home for me yeah. uh, and we did a lot of like bridging the gap I And mean, so we were playing our show was designed for the people who have kids in band, you know, it was a show for the parents of kids in band, um, and really like connected with that audience. Um, and it was like, per- it was a, a really, really well-designed show for that. Um, and so I always, I always really valued that we were like, you know, not like holding like classical music or is this kind of classical kind of not crossover brass content.
0: Right, right, right.
1: We're not like holding it up here and be like, okay, come see us. It's like, we're like, where are you? Like, let's bring what we love to you in a place that you're going to see it and engage with it and in with a sense of humor that you're going to appreciate uh, right. and with, like, things that we know are going to get you, things that are relatable, like we're playing some movie scores, we're playing, um, you know, a <clears throat> big moment at the end of the first half was always William Tell, like, people know that, you know. Um, sure so that, that was something I really valued, for sure. Yeah,
0: and I imagine that your skills, so, like, I, th- I think it is more common now to have people that are great classical players and great jazz players, great crossover players. Um, you know, you're a great jazz and funk trombonist. You're a great classical trombonist. I imagine that those three skills came in handy getting a gig like Dallas Brass.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and it was uh, definitely, yeah, definitely necessary, and it definitely opened up a lot of uh, a lot of doors for me to keep the gig. You know, um, I think. Um, finding ways to, I mean, it's, it's just like freelancing, you know, it's like, there, there's going to be things where you got to learn on the job, but if you can give people something that it's like, oh man, like that was special. If you can give them something kind of special. And that was, I think in a lot of ways, that was like my improvising and funk chops when I started. And then as I, like, that was like, okay, keep me, keep me, keep me, keep me. And then the classical like chamber chops came alongside that. Um, over okay. Time. Um, yeah, you know, because like when I got the job, I hadn't played in a brass quintet for like five years. <laughs> you okay. know, the last time I played in a quintet was like in high school. Because um, I didn't think of myself as a classical trombonist, you know, like not, I, like I took it seriously and I played recitals and stuff like that at Minnesota. But it was like, the, even then, the idea was not like, oh, I'm going to, like, I'm a classical and jazz trombonist. The idea then was like, okay, like I'm getting a classical degree, I'm getting an ed degree, but I'm a jazz trombonist funk commercial trombonist who can right. also knows about this world and right. I got that job it's like oh man like I've got to start taking this stuff seriously and and, and really figured it out And um,
0: you know, I was always drawn to chamber music I mean I always thought I always thought brass quintet was really fun I didn't like as much I didn't like concert band as much I didn't like orchestra nearly as much I mean like orchestra was really not my vibe concert band i liked a little bit more but you know brass quintet like i was i played in brass quintet all through college at lawrence and even though i was a jazz studies major it's like i played in a brass quintet with the guy who played principal trumpet in the orchestra we were the two trumpet players and i played second trumpet to him mm-hmm. and it was great it was a great experience and actually uh anna um jacobson played french horn in that in awesome. that quintet in chicago yeah. um amazing french hornist. And she, she like plays trumpet and violin and all kinds of other things too. I should get her on the podcast. Yeah, um,
1: seriously. Oh man. Yeah. But
0: uh, yeah, like I, I, I think even then kind of saw the potential in what chamber music could be. Like it, it had a lot of, it felt it to me, it felt like a small group jazz thing, you know, it was like, even though we weren't playing that rep, we're playing like Sam, Samuel Adler's music and stuff yep. like all yep. this crazy stuff. But, you know, it's like, I, I liked the feeling of chamber music, you know what I mean? And I, and, and, uh I think it's a, ni- it's a nice gateway for people that play, uh, like play like small group jazz or see themselves as commercial players to get yeah. into classical playing, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's exactly what it ended up, ended up being for me is like, okay, now I'm in this space and, like that ended up being a gateway to me getting into the classical world and taking it like very seriously getting, you know, was fortunate to win a position with a, a Milwaukee ballet orchestra. I played with them for a while. Um, uh, but you know, I think the big thing there too, is that like, that I, I, that I hear you saying, or at least that it's like, man, like this is what I found is that it's like the skills are the skills are the same. In that it starts here. Yeah, there's nothing extra than this, and that was also like that's you know like I, again I talk to like I maybe be a little self-deprecating when I'm talking about like okay like yeah like they kept me along because I could do this other stuff. Well, I could make I could hang on the chamber stuff because I was listening, you know, right. and and I'm matching and I'm treating it like honestly like playing in Nuki Jones and like playing horn lines with you is the exact same thing I'm doing in. You uh, know, in, in Dallas Brass, my first couple of years, it's just that instead of like I'm trying to match your sound and like I, your inflection and, and play in a way that's supporting trumpet in that sound. Now I've moved to the brass quintet and I'm supporting Luis Soraya's sound and he like the way he was playing. Uh, but it's the exact same thing. It's just this supportive role, and it's like how do you hear it and how do you react? And that's man, that's like. Like, that's all. Like, if you can do that, then you're an improvising musician, even if you're reading music in front of you. Like, if you're just like
0: yeah, <laughs> listening, and reacting, listening, reacting, that's it. That, that, in any musical context, then I mean, that's
1: absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's honestly, I think that, you know, bringing it a little bit full circle, like, that's, that's essentially the lessons that I was learning when I was a kid, you know, is that it's like all of this is the same. All of this is the same, whether I'm playing bass guitar in a punk rock band or i'm playing trombone on chicago tunes or like i'm playing in this like you know uh playing piano on a like a jazz trio gig or something like that like it's all the same i'm thinking the same way i'm like i'm listening and responding and that's what the whole field is you know
0: right yeah that's great man so i imagine your triangle of driving is not sustainable long term do you got a plan uh, for when you're finished doing DMA stuff, uh, you're at Milliken. you're living in Chicago. What's, what does what's, uh, what, what your future look like? Do you know? Are you just kind of riding this
1: out? Well, uh, a thing that I'm learning to do in life <laughs> is try not to plan so dang much. Yeah, um, I, you know, it's like, it's that same lesson of man really bringing it full circle. That same lesson that I learned when I was like, first went to North Texas is that it's like, this was not the decision for an eight-year-old to make. That happens every day now. It's like, man, like, why are you deciding that? Then you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so trying to stay open, um, open to it. I, you know, we're really happy here in Chicago. Um, and Sarah's got a lot of a lot of really exciting things going on. It's That's been really cool to see. Um, my wife is a, a badass timpanist um, and really gifted like administrator, which has been interesting to see because it's like she has no training in that, um, but she's stepping into these roles where she's like, um, yeah, it, it, it's just clear to see the impact that she has when she's asked to step into a, a role. And so she's uh, got a-, cool. a role at uh, Roosevelt University. So like, with what she's doing and what I'm doing, it's like, yeah, maybe we'll be in Chicago for a while. Obviously, my career trajectory, if you look at it, it's the look of exactly what you said, somebody who's starting off in academia um, and somebody who's going after those those jobs pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether that looks like me building at Milliken, uh, that's a possibility whether it looks like an opportunity opening up a little closer to home and being here. Um, or if it looks like, you know, a few years down the road looking at a tenure track job, something right. else, you know, that's, that's a possibility. Um, so I guess the answer, the, the short answer is like, yeah, kind of writing it out, kind of figuring, figuring things out, uh, taking sure. one day at a time, but just, uh, you know, lucky to be in this place where it's like, I know, like there's always things to be doing and there's always, you know, opportunities out here. And so,
0: on. yeah. So how did you get just, you know, I guess to wrap it up, you, you're in Chicago now, it seems like you're freelancing a bunch in Chicago. How did you get connected in the scene in Chicago once you moved there? Like how did, I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast are trying to learn, they're trying to get gigs They're trying to get connected in different scenes. Maybe they're moving somewhere new. Like how did you get connected when you moved to Chicago?
1: Man, well, you're going you know, to pump you up here, man. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know who got me connected in Chicago first. It's Again, it's that same idea from Minneapolis. One gig leads to another to another. In Minneapolis getting to be at school and subbing for a doctoral student at the time. That was Keith. Um, yep. Came down here. Um, and really, uh, like a lot of what, there's a couple different spaces that that where things kind of took off in different directions. And it's interesting because you can look at like, the context of people I still call and work with and you can still kind of trace them back to like, okay, I went this way and I went this way. But the first one was Evan Jacobson. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Who you hooked me up with actually. Nice. You know what? Um, I don't, I, so I don't think you intentionally hooked me up, but I came and saw your show with I uh, I don't remember what band you were playing with Fatbook. Um, no, it wasn't Fatbook Cause it wasn't, Evan wasn't playing or, uh, oh. was, uh um, it was like a trio or quartet gig. Oh,
0: oh, oh uh, Todd Klauser. You talking about the Todd Klauser thing? Been, in Chicago?
1: Um, it was uh, down in Wicker Park, and Evan was catching it. Um, and you introduced Okay. And he, w- he was playing with a New Orleans band at the time. Um, right, was- four-star. Yeah, four-star. And so he, uh, at that time, I think um, I ended up stepping into that gig, kind of filling in for Joe Goltz a bit, I think. Um and, and
0: joe joe plays with Youngblood. blood for those of you listening yeah, yeah man I've been, I've, I've been
1: really lucky to fill in for joe and a couple things my other like main thing here is hi-hat and so meeting joe eventually too that was another one is like going go and check out like some of the stuff where the like joe was leading um cool. and getting to know that that was that was great but uh, again like that plugged me into the new orleans scene uh, yep. Which also brings me back to Minneapolis. The reason I was able to jump into the New Orleans scene is because of uh, the crazy Jack Brass rehearsals that we would have, and Mike would yeah. see this list of like thirty tunes, and we'd <laughs> rehearse like seven of them and play the same eight on every gig. But yeah. <laughs> thirty, man, I remember getting like two hundred. Well, I'm being yeah, I'm being generous. <laughs> he, he said two
0: hundred. He goes, here's two hundred. I was like, dude, I, yeah, I can't seriously. learn two hundred tunes.
1: Dude, that was but that was such that was such a formative thing, and honestly, that's a huge like. And, and me trying to like keep up with that and learn in that way and learn that style, and then just get to like the what that does for your ears, you know? Oh, totally, man.
0: I mean, Dude. I got so much love for that. Period. I mean, I almost I've said this on the podcast before, but I almost quit Jack Brass during my master's because I joined while well, I was getting my master's, and I was like, man, I'm trying to learn the Tomasi and I'm trying to learn all these the Honiguer. Like, I can't, yeah. I I can't be learning like. Two hundred brass band tunes, and at that time he didn't have a grouped tune list. He didn't have like learn these ten trads, learn these ten modern tunes, and then learn these ten trads and learn these ten modern tunes. He just sent me a list of tunes, two hundred some tunes, and and just gave me on. the, you know, gave me the the password to the online database of bootleg recordings. Yeah, And right. say get to work, and I was like, yo, I don't think I could do this. And he said, cool. man, hang, hang, hang out, dude. Just like stay with it. It's gonna be okay. And I'm really glad I did. I mean, like, obviously, it's opened up so many opportunities for me. And I, I teach using New Orleans style brass band music now a lot. Teach everything by ear. I just love it as an educational tool. I love it as, uh, like instrumentalists don't get ear training enough as young players. they, they, they get an instrument and they get a book and they aren't there is a big disconnect between what music actually is, which is our all tradition. There's a big disconnect with people who come up in the, in the United States band programs. And so, you know, New Orleans brass band music is really, has been this huge gift for me. Totally, man.
1: Yeah. And, and and that's like, first of all, glad to hear. And it's like, it's exactly like, that's my teaching practice in a significant amount as well. Everything's ears, everything's uh, singing, identifying things when I was working with, Uh, when I was working, I used to teach a lot of like beginner, beginners, like fourth through eighth grade ages. And it's like, we're improvising, we're playing back and forth by ear. We're doing call and response, all that stuff, like immediately. And they can do it. They absolutely can do it. It's not like, just don't make it sound like it's going to be hard. They're already going to be able to do it. Uh, uh, and then, I mean, like what you're talking about too, I'm just excited because I'm thinking about it, uh, like this kind of approach and how it applies to lessons and future educators. That's actually what my like, dissertation is probably going to be moving towards. Um, so cool. I'm excited to get that stuff out there and get that working. Um, but to come back to like the New Orleans stuff, because I had that experience with Mike um, and, you know, learning all these tunes, these big sets. Yeah. I was fortunately, yeah, he did break it down into like, okay, here's like modern set list four. And here is like, you know, track yeah. set list too. Um, but still. That's because
0: like, of me. It's because of me, because I bitched a lot about that. I was like, come on, man.
1: (laughs) I'm going to get you. uh, Next time I see you, I'll buy you a beer for that. Uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) I don't
0: uh, drink anymore, but that's all right, man. uh, Give me a tea.
1: We'll find some equivalent. Uh, (laughs) um, But, you know, so then when I came to Chicago, and I'm sitting in with Four Star for the first time – it's like, oh, yeah, like I know all these tunes because Mike, like it's all the same repertoire for the most part. Yep. Like yep. And Mike, his repertoire that he put in front of us was so expansive. Yep. And I even if I don't know a tune, like I would it was not infrequent that I'd get called on a Jack Brass gig. And I don't know a tune super well, but I'm sitting next to Hans Elke, and I'm sitting next to Scott um, and Aggie. Uh, Yeah, Aggie and, uh, uh, you know, Gus, all those cats. And it's like, man, like, I'm going to learn because I'm listening to you and I'll figure it out by hearing what you're doing and like harmonizing what you're doing Um, and and that kind of thing. So that made it possible for me to come here and step into that scene. So that was big. Um, and the other thing too, when you can't, when I came to Chicago, um, was, yeah, just doing the thing, hitting sessions, uh, hitting jam sessions where I could. Um, but you know, that, that opened up a lot of possibilities. Um, but I think again, it comes back to big bands as well. Like that's a, such playing in a big band. I started working with a couple different big bands right when I got to town and that just came from, got my first big band gig from cold calling, uh, band directors looking for students. Huh? Uh, and I was looking at, cause I wanted to teach and I sent like 40 emails to band directors and like, you know, 35 of them didn't say anything. Uh, three of them said no. And one of them said like, I like all of our students go to this other, like uh, not for profit after school thing, but we'd love to have you in to do a master class. Great. Okay. Like $50 there. And then the other one was like, no students for you, but, uh, I know, Uh, your buddy in Dallas brass. I know that you're like, I know who you, like I have an idea of who you are because you have this attached. Um, Would you fill in for me on a gig? Uh, And it's like, and that was it. Like that was it. I took that one gig and then all of a sudden I'm plugged into the big band scene. And then because every big band is like all of this other stuff, it's like, there's, you know, there's, you're sitting there with 17 cats. Uh, Some of them are just hobbyists, but some of them, and some of them are hobbyists that are going to hire you to play at their church. Some of them are hobbyists. Uh, And some of them are, like, you never know, man. Like, I've played a bunch of gigs with Roger Ingram that you would not expect Roger Ingram to show up on. (laughs) Hell yeah, man. (laughs) I've heard that he'd play. Somebody was like, just call
0: Roger to play with your big band when you do it again in Chicago. And I was like, oh, man.
1: Dude, yeah. Well, he'll show up, and he sounds great. He sounds incredible, you know. Um, But, uh, you know, whether it's that or it's, like, you're playing next to – You're always going to play next to somebody who's going to, there's going to be some door that opens, you know?
0: Yeah. I love the very tangible, the very like uh, actionable, I sent 40 emails to 40 band directors. You know, I love that idea of like, it takes a little bit of grunt work, but like, hey, this is what I did and this is how I got a masterclass and a gig that ended up leading to a whole bunch of other things. And 38 people ignored me. You know, I mean, it's like essentially like 35 people ignore me. Three people said no, you know, it's just like, that's, you know, man, that's such a great lesson. And like, you know, get it done, get it done. Go do it.
1: Yeah. And it's such a, you know, and it's a great thing because it's like once you, for the most part in your life, you have to do that once. You know, like you have to right. do that. Once, and then once you start to develop a reputation as somebody who can do the job, then it's like, then everything splinters from there. And it's like, you can, you can get more opportunities and build more stuff. But, yeah, um, but it starts with, you know, starts with that. And it was like, man, well, you know, like, honestly, I was lucky. I, I, I still think of it like, I, I came to Chicago fully expecting to like play in Dallas brass and like just drive Uber, you know, like, cause I figured it was going to be forever before anybody would give me a call, you know? Wow but, uh, nothing wrong with that. I know cats that do that. And that's like, and that's great, you know? Um, but, uh, I, man, I guess just like taking that first step and, um, and just getting lucky to get that first call. And, you know, and if, if, if I hadn't gotten it, you know, I I still think it would have happened, but just by like just finding is whenever, whenever it happens, you just got to find that one notch to get your foot toe in the door and then things start to fall into place and you start right. to find, find your role and your skills based off of what's being asked of you. So, yeah,
0: dude. Awesome. Hey man. Uh, I don't have to keep any more of your time. Is there, do you want, is there anything you want me to link in the show notes? You want me to link your website? I, I figure I'd link your website, link social media.
1: Oh dude, <laughs> I, I am. Uh, I'm like uh stone age level. Uh, <laughs> and I, I don't have a website. Um, I, oh, that's uh,
0: right. I looked up Dallas. You're on Dallas Brass's website. but Yeah,
1: I still am somehow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's that's cool. Um, so, you know, there's nothing on there, but if you want to link people to... Uh, there's nothing on there about me, but if you want to link people to Milliken, uh, that would be a cool idea. Um, I, cool. I should have this ready, but I think it's milliken.edu backslash SOM, School of Music. Um, uh, see some of the cool things that are going on there. Um, that would be great. Um yeah, I think that would be I think that would be the best place to go. So
0: cool. Sweet. Dude, thanks for taking the time to tell your story, man. Appreciate it. There's a lot of great nuggets in there.
1: Dude, I appreciate getting to chat with you, man. It's good to see you.
0: Yeah, likewise. Hey, thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Ryan Christensen. If you dig the show, tell a friend or post about it on social media. Throw your favorite episode up in your stories on Instagram and tag at Boss app. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, hit the plus sign so that you don't miss any great episodes and hit the follow button on Spotify if you're listening on Spotify. We also have a YouTube page called Gig Boss. You can watch all of my interviews there because they're all done via Zoom and there's video of all the conversations. If you're a performing artist or band leader, I made an app for you. It's called Gig Boss. It's a way for you to organize your career. You can organize your schedules with your bandmates. You can create groups and create events, organize the details, link charts and recordings in the notes, and track your finances. I am wildly active as an artist, and if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm at Adam Meckler, A-D-A-M-M-E-C-K-L-E-R on Instagram. Thanks for listening. See you next time.